Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At KPB, we don't think money should dictate who has the opportunity to play college baseball or who gets to make informed decisions throughout the college baseball recruiting process. And all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast, the best source of recruiting information on the go. What's up, guys? We're excited to be joined this morning by Joe Maroney. Joe is the founder of Always Grind and a former Kansas Jayhawk baseball player. A fellow Californian, Joe grew up in Pleasanton, California and played his high school baseball at Amador Valley High School. He wasn't heavily recruited out of high school, but he took a risk and decided to walk on at the University of Kansas. He had no guarantee of making the team, no guarantee of playing college baseball, but he earned the respect of his coaches and teammates through his work ethic and dedication to the game. This work ethic transformed him from a walk-on to a team captain his senior year and also transformed him on the field to one of the best outfielders in the Big 12. This created opportunities for him to extend his career into pro ball, and it was during his time in pro ball that he started using notebooks to track pitch sequences, to track pitcher tendencies, to write down notes about specific ABs, and also write down notes about his training sessions. He felt that this gave him a competitive advantage and also expanded his baseball IQ, and that transformed into his business venture with Always Grind, where he produces these notebooks for young players who are looking for an advantage in their development and a way to help themselves get recruited. So we're excited to pick Joe's brain about his college baseball experience, his unique path from walk-on to standout in the Big 12, and then also about his work with Always Grind and how you guys out there can use notebooks to help you become a better player and improve your chances of getting recruited. So without further ado, our interview with Joe Maroney starts right now. Joe, thanks for joining us on the podcast today, man. Ethan, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, to join you here. Yeah, man. Excited to get into your story and then talk about your work with Always Grind. Um, but for starters, why don't you just give us a quick rundown of your career in baseball, how you got to where you are today as the founder of Always Grind, and, and tell us a little bit about your baseball career. Yeah, sure. So it's a, definitely a long story, but I'll try and keep a long story short. And I know we'll kind of dive into the details a little bit. Uh, further on here, but um, grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area um, in the East Bay. I'm from Pleasanton. Um, I live here currently and operate Always Grind out of Pleasanton, California. Um, so my baseball background, you know, just grew up loving the game as we all did and, um, you know, played high school baseball at Amador Valley. Um, had a Had a pretty good career there. 
um, and going into kind of the recruiting process and just kind of my life story of, of who I was as a player. I was always, um, you know, the smallest guy on the field and big hustle guy. I knew that kind of had to be my um, way of, of playing the game just because I was undersized and I was a late bloomer. And it was just one of those things where I knew I had to compete in different ways because I wasn't going to hit, you know, home runs every at bat or, you know, every other at bat, especially in like little league and moving on to, you know, the 90 foot bases after that. I knew mm-hmm. I always had to be kind of the hustle guy, do everything right um, to get on the field and get some playing time. Um, but leading into that, in terms of high school baseball, kind of the same thing. I was a late bloomer, didn't really start growing until, you know, after junior year. Um, and with that, you know, with how recruiting is, um, it really started um, to get that way to where guys were getting recruited um, at an early age. Um, it was kind of that transition to where guys were committing, the, you know, their freshman, sophomore years in high school. Right. And one of my buddies, um, you know, committed, I think it was at the end of his freshman year or something like that. And it's always, you know, kind of disheartening because you, you always feel like, hey, you know, if, you, if this guy's getting recruited, you know, why aren't I? Um, but it's just one of those things I knew at an early age, like I wanted to go play division one baseball. I felt like I belonged, um, at the division one level. And, um, like I said, with me being a late bloomer, I really had to, had to work at it in every single, uh, facet, whether it be, you know, academically, you know, I'd always knew I had to stay eligible and was doing research on all the different, um, schools, you know, requirements, um, so I knew I had to stay diligent on that side. And then at the same time, you know, really work in the weight room to try and get myself stronger and kind of make up for that lack of development in terms of physicality, um, on the field and in the weight room, obviously. And then, um, with the recruiting process, you know, with not getting too many looks, I always had to stay persistent and contact coaches on a you know daily basis, weekly basis keep in touch with them, be like, Hey, you know, coach, I'm playing at this tournament down in you know San Diego. Um, you know, heard you're going to be there. You know, this is my schedule, that kind of stuff. So keep trying to keep a long story short um, in terms of where I went in college. Um, it was one of those things where I was uncommitted um, going into my senior year, went to a bunch of different camps and did all that good stuff. And, you know, I was performing during summer baseball and, you know, putting up good numbers and developing that my reputation as a ball player. Um, and like I said, yeah, I'm committed going into senior year, went to a bunch of camps, um, went to like a senior uncommitted camp at Santa Clara university in California and, um, you know, performed well enough for them to be like, Hey, you know, we, we don't have any scholarship, but we can offer you a walk on opportunity. If that interests you, um, your grades check out. So that's good there. And, you know, we can roll you in, into school and you'll be recruited walk on. So, you know, right then and there, I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go play division one baseball. And it, for me, it was pretty close to home. So it felt like a good fit to me. And so I committed and a few weeks later, this was probably, let's see, not a few weeks, a few months later. So it was probably midway through my senior season in high school. Um, they fired the entire coaching staff. So when that happens, um, the new coaching staff doesn't have to um, have the recruited walk-ons, you know, on the roster for the fall. It's just right. that it doesn't work out that way. So that happened, like I said, about midway through senior year. And, um, you know, I was almost in panic mode. 
just go, Hey, I don't, all my buddies, you know, they know where they're going to college and whether they're playing baseball or not. And it's just one of those things where you kind of feel left out. So um, instead of kind of, you know, Oh, okay. I'll go to the Juco route. I knew that I could play at the division one level. And you know, I just went home, kind of thought about what I could do. And so I just started making this huge list of um, coaches. I think I had a list about over a hundred, maybe 150 coaches at the division one level, division two level. And I, uh, you know, I skipped class for a couple of days and I just called these guys um, during school hours um, and, you know, say, Hey, introduce myself. Here's my background. You know, I'd really love to play at your school um, and just really took it into my, into my uh, own realm there and just really wanted to be persistent with those guys and say, Hey, you know, this is who I am. I want to play at your school. You know, what do I have to do to make that happen? Right. Um, luckily for me, um, one of the, I called the secretary at the university of Kansas. She immediately put me on the phone with uh, coach price at KU. And, you know, he gave me an opportunity to where I could come check out the school and start the conversation. Um, and that was about, I think it was about two weeks before high school graduation. So, you know, went out there, met the coach and, and, uh, pretty much what he said to me was, Hey, you can, we don't have any spots available. You know, we're keeping 35 guys. We're bringing about 40 into the fall. So, you know, we'll get you in the school, but if this is something you want to risk and, you know, change your lifestyle, I mean, California and Kansas is definitely a different experience. Some what I little grew culture, up. culture yeah. shock there. Yeah, totally. Right. So, and, um, you know, so I took the risk and I, and I walked on at the university of Kansas and it was one of the best decisions I made in my life to, to take that risk. And, and, um, yep, that's how I got to, um, the university of Kansas and, um, performed well enough, well enough in the fall to, you know, make the, make the 35 man roster. And, um, you know, that was kind of the start of my college career there. Um, and if we can, if you want, I can go into a little bit more about that, but I'm sure there's a lot more topics that we can cover. Um, you know, we're on the, while we're on the uh, podcast here, but that's, that's pretty much my journey and how I got to KU. Um, and like I said, it was just kind of me taking my own career um, into my own hands and really wanted to be persistent um, because I knew I knew what I wanted and I knew that I could play at that division one level. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Cause that's, that's exactly what we tell kids. You know, you gotta, you gotta figure out what you want and then you need to create a plan to do it. sounds like you did that, but I want to uh, dive in a little bit more to your conversation about being a walk-on because yeah. that's, that's something that a lot of kids are faced with. Um, what, what type of information did you know when you showed up to campus? What type of questions did you ask? What, what exactly was the deal? Did you know that you had to earn a, earn a roster spot in the fall? Um, was there any guarantees made? How did that shake out? Yeah. So like I said, there was about 40, maybe 42 guys going into the fall, um, at the university of Kansas. And like I said, you only can keep 35. So, you know, it was a, it was one of those things where I knew going into it that, you know, I go to that the school and I'm enrolled as a student, but there's no guarantee for me to make the team in the, in the springtime. So I know I was sharing a locker with another walk on, you know, it's one of those things. It's kind of a little different treatment, as if you will, than a person who was on scholarship, right? You know, come their freshman year, and obviously they already had a spot, right? So it was just kind of competing. I knew I'd have to come in and compete, 
Um, and, you know, that's something that I was always used to growing up, um, not having the same opportunities as, as somebody who was, you know, mature, more mature than I was or, or um, kind of had an in um, in terms of, you know, whether it was, you know, Babe Ruth, you know, 13 to 15 year old, even high school baseball, um, you know, it's just something that I was always used to that I had to, had to grind it out well yeah. and know that I had to work really hard and, and be that guy on that team that, you know, Hey, this guy's going to work his butt off and, you know, hopefully we can get an opportunity and maybe he develops to the player that we, we want him to be in, you know, two to three years. Right. So that's kind of how I felt that the coaching staff, you know, was going to view, view me as a walk-on, you mm -hmm. know, I wasn't going to be an instant impact player, but I knew that I could play at that level and I knew that I can, you know, work, work hard enough to, gain those skills and those assets that division one college coaches want. Um, and like I said, it was just one of those things. I was a late bloomer and I was a late bloomer in high school. I was a late bloomer in, in, at the division one level. Um, but I knew if I kept working at it and understand and kind of buy into what the coaching staff wanted at KU, that I could be that guy, you know, by the time I left campus. Yeah. So obviously your success story, if there's 42 guys that are coming in and 35 are being kept, you know, there's going to be some injuries and maybe a transfer or two, but some guys aren't making it. So what would be your suggestion for a high school kid who's looking at the same thing where, you know, it's a non-guaranteed roster spot. He's going to have to compete in the fall. What questions should he ask the coach before he decides whether it's worth the risk? Right. So I guess that really comes down to, you know, the whole, frame of what they're being offered so I mean if they have an offer you know to go play to a, a mid-major school I guess for me because it was a power five conference school um, you know that's that's where I wanted to be because I knew I could compete at that level um, but I, it's one of those things where like hey if you, if you think you're ready to play at the division one level and they're giving you a walk-on opportunity absolutely go for it because there's some guys that who do not make that transition um, from high school to division one, or it may take them a little bit longer than they might like. So if, if you really think that you can do it, absolutely go for it because there's, you know, the way it works, if, if you play well enough, you know, there, there will be scholarship, you know, opportunities for you in the future, especially if you contribute at an early age, whether it was freshman or sophomore year. Um, but if it's one of those things where, Hey, I don't feel like I'm ready to, to compete at that level. You know, I have this, this great junior college that develops guys and, you know, gets them ready for division one baseball or even the, even the baseball draft. I mean, that's always a great route. And I think it's very um, underrated in my opinion is the junior college route, especially in California, California, Texas, or, or Florida, Arizona, you know, those guys, the junior college, cause you're able to play year round, you know, they develop guys. Um, yeah. In such a great way. Um, to where they develop them, where they're instant impact guys when they come onto a Division One campus, or even if they become that good enough to get drafted. I mean, that's two two years instead of a four year commitment. Um, so I definitely think it's an underrated um, way to go and improve yourself as a ball player is going the junior college route. Um, so I guess it just really depends on the individual player, and that individual player is going to obviously have some questions. You know, hey am I going to be ready? You know, sorry about that. No um, worries. 
But I think it just really comes down to the individual and, you know, hey, do I want to go away from home or how, how important is it for me to, you know, leave the state I grew up in, right? There's so many different, different factors that come into play um, with there being so many baseball opportunities to extend your career after high school. Um, so I think it really depends on the individual, individual player. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, if you work hard enough, you can become a, a, a player at any given level. Um, yeah. so that's really what I believe in. It sounds like the dog agrees too. So that's, yes, that's a good thing. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a big risk reward balance, right? So you're looking at a, a walk on position. You always want to know what type of opportunity you're being provided. And then it really comes down to what you want as a player and how you feel like you're ready. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Cool. So you ended up at Kansas. Did you have anyone, you know, you said you jumped on the phone and you made a bunch of calls yourself. Did you have anyone helping you along the way? Any coaches or any other people helping you? Um, yeah. So obviously you have your, your, you know, your high school coach, your college summer ball coach that would go to bat for you. Um, you know, because they want, that's, you know, that's what they're there for. They want to see you succeed. And obviously, you know, in life and then down in baseball as well. Um, so my coaching staff in high school is very supportive. You know, any, any time I needed them to um, reach out or if a coach needed to call them, you know, they're obviously um, very supportive of that. And then um, with the college summer ball coach as well, um, being the track record that he had, um, they had pretty, pretty good connections and kind of knew the right way to go about it. Um, but probably my main supporters was my family um, just because I kind of knew I was the way I was raised was to always be, you know, persistent. If I wanted something, if I wanted something, you know, go get it. So, you know, it was one of those things when I was thinking about what I should do being uncommitted, you know, a couple of weeks before high school graduation, you know, just to sit down and be like, Hey, you know, this is what, you know, you've been doing this your whole life. Right. So that support system, that was huge for me. You know, you've been doing this whole, your whole life. You, if you wanted something really bad, you went and got it. So, um, I, I really took it upon myself to, to try and make it happen. And especially with, you know, me skipping class and <laughs> having to, you know, go around the yard duties at, at school to try and make a few phone calls to try and, you know, make it happen. Um, you know, it was definitely something that I knew I needed to do. And, um, you know, it's especially uh, one thing I will say to the, the listeners here, um, you know, if they're uncommitted or doing anything like that, like there's so many resources out there available now, you know, obviously with you guys um, at KPB. Um, and then obviously there's other resources out there too. But if you could have a computer, I mean, everyone has an iPhone or a smartphone nowadays. I mean, you could go online and you can look up email addresses, you know, office phone numbers, you know, no problem. And it's one of those things where you can start creating a list, you know, Hey, I want to go to a school in, you know, Arizona, you know, where, what lists or what, what uh, schools are in Arizona, right. And you start creating a list. I mean, that's something that you could do 30 minutes a day or 30 minutes a week, even and you start creating a list of, of schools that you're interested in. And then you can start reaching out to, I mean, cause there's no, there's no NCAA rules about you reaching out to coaches, right? Right. You can reach out. They can't always reach back out if they, if they miss your connection, but um, you're always able to, to get in touch. Right. 
Right. So that's kind of how something, I mean, even with my, my uh, company, you know, always grind too, is that we try to preach and instill in people that, Hey, if you really want it, you can go get it. And whether it's creating a, a college contact list while, you know, by the end of your junior year, you have, you know, over a hundred contacts that you can contact and try and keep your dream alive. Um, yeah. yeah. Definitely a touch upon was that there's so many resources out there and, um, I'm sure you guys have some too, but on our website, you know, we developed a, a, like a free template that it's just a college contact list that you can go through and you can evaluate, you know, different types of schools and you can start making those lists and, you know, it's, you can print out the sheet of paper, you know, whether you need one or 50 sheets, you know, you can start creating that list with an iPhone or smartphone or even a computer. I mean, it's very simple and, and you, you're, you're definitely able to go do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, I love a couple of things about your story. One, you know, here you are about to graduate from, from high school, you don't have a place to play and you end up at a division one school. And I think that's something that a lot of players miss is, you know, yes, recruiting is happening earlier and earlier, but those teams never stop recruiting and they're always going to be looking for late additions, whether it's because guys are getting drafted, guys are transferring, um, recruiting is very fluid. And so if you're panicking because you don't have anywhere to go, you know, senior year, well, tons of kids are in the same boat as what happened to you, right? Tons of kids are committing or, or signing with programs even late into their senior year. When I was a division one coach, I remember we signed a kid after he had graduated high school. He didn't have anywhere to play. He was playing summer ball and we signed him to a scholarship. So I love, I love the idea that, you know, there's always an opportunity. The second thing I love, obviously, is your message of being persistent, right? You're, you're knocking on every door. You're starting with a, a wide net, and then you're narrowing it down as you figure out you know, what type of place you want to play at. So I think that's you know, really great advice that any player out there can take. Now, I want to know, having gone through this whole process, if you could take what you know now and then give – 14-year-old Joe, one piece of advice about the recruiting process and the college search, what would you tell him to help him out? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, it's definitely a difficult one because there's so many, um, <laughs> there's so many ways you can go about it differently. Um, mm-hmm. I, will, I will start off with this. Going to, going to the University of Kansas is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life um, just because of the, um, the relationships that I built there. And then obviously it's, it's such a, it's such a great school and it's so unique. And people think when you go to Kansas, you know, there's nothing there and they're, they're right. They're definitely right. But <laughs> Kansas is, is, it's a special place and um, you know, they have a huge alumni system and, and it's a great uh, background story of the school and obviously big sports, you know, I grew up a big sports fan and outside of baseball, you know, football, basketball, you know, anything like that. So it was obviously a great experience outside of baseball, but if I were to go, Hey, you know, you want to, you want to make the big leagues, like this is what you have to do. And it's one of those things that you hear from, from guys who retire from the game and, you know, inspirational in quotes, whatever you pull it from. It's one of those things where, Hey, you could have always worked harder and gone about it a different way because, you know, anybody can be a, a good Monday morning quarterback, but um, I would tell, I would tell myself at age 14, you know, to 
to be patient, um, trust in your progression and be as persistent as you possibly can be. Um, because if you're able to combine those, those, I call them the three P's, but if you're able to combine those three P's at a young age, it's going to help you in your baseball career and even outside your baseball career. I mean, patience is definitely one of the hardest things that we as, as humans, um, you know, try to achieve, especially nowadays with everything being so instantaneous. Um, you know, if you're able to trust in, in your, in your progression and be patient with it and then be persistent to where you can reach out to coaches and follow up with them. Like, no, I don't, it's, I mean, you were a coach. I mean, if a guy was hitting you up, you know, on a weekly basis, Hey, here, here's how I did this week. Here's, how I did this, you know, I'm really working on this. You know, I don't think you're going to put that guy by the wayside because that's going to be one of those guys that you go, Hey, this guy really loves the game. And, you know, we're going to follow him at least because he's taken this, his development and his progression and his game seriously. And if that guy can do that for four years, he's going to help out our program. Yeah. You're always going to give that per, that persistent player an extra look. It doesn't always work out as it did in your situation, but you're always going to give that guy a little bit of a benefit of the doubt, regardless of whether it's like, Hey, I really like this guy's persistence or man, this kid is, he won't leave me alone. It's annoying. Either way, you're still going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they're taking the, the time, they're putting in the effort um, to show you that they really want to be a part of your program. So I think you're absolutely right there. Yeah, um, and I want to say one more thing too. Um, what, do you, off the top of your head, how many, how many baseball programs out, out, are out there? I guess in terms, I think there's like close to 1,000 Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three NAIA schools, right? Outside yeah, of nine... I believe it's 930 something NCA programs. And then there's yeah. over 1600 college baseball programs at any level. Yeah. So there's close to a thousand and then obviously junior college too. There's opportunities out there for almost everybody. And if, if you're able to, you know, take your game seriously and know that you want to be a college baseball player or play after high school at, the, at a junior college um, there, you can do it. I mean, there's, there's just so many opportunities out there. And if, and if you go about it the right way and you're watching videos on YouTube and you're following these social media accounts that are helping you out, I, I really think, especially nowadays, there's just so many resources out there to where you can improve so much as a baseball player. And I mean, if it's just, I keep, I keep talking about it, but if you really want it, you can go get it. And I think that would be just the, to kind of touch on the last question too. You know, that's what I would tell myself at 14 because I know there's going to be different routes and different decisions probably made. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's so much opportunity. So if you really want it, you can go out there and get it. Yeah, love that. Love that. Let's transition a little bit to your, your college baseball experience. When you first got to school in the fall, what what surprised you about playing college baseball at the Division One level, and was there anything surprising that made the transition to college baseball difficult for you? Yeah, so that's that's a, that's another good question. So, I guess as soon as I got there in my first fall, um, you know, there's so many things that you're held accountable for, um, whether that's you know your your class responsibilities, you know, your weight room responsibilities. Um, and obviously the day-to-day -day baseball 
grind. Um, there's, you just have to be very well organized in your day to day. Um, just because you have, you know, you're waking up and you're doing something that's, um, in relation to, you know, your student athlete life. So whether that's waking up and you, Oh, I got to eat breakfast or we got to go to the weight room because I have class in 30 minutes. Right. And there's just, you're, you're very busy, you know, Monday through Sunday, dedicating yourself to you know your school, your teammates and your baseball program. So that was the kind of the first, I wouldn't say surprise because I kind of knew, you know, the, the day-to-day grind, but it's something that you need to experience because you're going to have to make that quick life adjustment um, fast, especially if you're going to want to be successful and trying to win a job in the spring. Um, so that's definitely one of the first things I noticed. It's one of the second things too, is that um, especially me with being a late, late bloomer coming into, you know, a college campus, um, you know, the maturity levels are very different. Um, you know, I was playing with a 20, he might've been 23 and a half, maybe turning 24. Cause he was a late, I think he graduated high school at 19. Then he had a couple of Tommy John surgeries, stuff like that. So that's a, that's a man right there. You know, right. <laughs> you know I, was, I was a boy walking onto a college campus, you know, not, not very, uh, physically mature. And that guy was a man and, you know, he had a, you know, he had a, I think he was about to get married. He might've had a kid. So that's just, it's one of those things that, that the dynamic of the locker room is so much different than it is in high school because, you know, you grew up with those guys you played in high school and with little league and, you know, um, you know, Babe Ruth travel ball and you put it in high school, but there's so many different pools where they pull from and there's so many different unique backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. So that's one of the biggest surprises too, is was seeing how mature some of the, some of your teammates were. Um, and that's just one of those things where you, okay, now I, now I really need to focus on, you know, especially in the fall, you know, working on my physical attributes and trying to get stronger so I can play with these guys. Yeah, it really, really shows you what you're up against. Um, yes, absolutely. And with that too, you know, those are your teammates. So you're going to be playing against them in the fall. But then when you go and play other schools who are better than your team, you know, those guys are physically mature and they're very good baseball players, you know. So the level of competition just rises on you really quickly. And, you know, instead of having two, three studs that you're playing against in high school, they have to worry about, you have to worry about the whole nine. And, yeah. um, you know, that's kind of the, the jump from high school to college, especially at division one for me at a power five, you know, you realize real quick, I think my freshman year, you know, I didn't, I didn't play that much. My freshman year, um, I was more like defensive substitution guy, pinch runner, but, you know, I think we we're playing, um, yeah, Texas A&M, and they were number one in the country, and they had three big leaguers, future big leaguers on their team. And I remember sitting watching Tyler Naquin take infield outfield, and he was in right field, and he was thrown from the warning track, you know, on a line to home plate. I'm like, well, I got some work. I got I to yeah. get back to the cage or get back to the weight room, right? Little so, little reality check for you right there. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. And that's something we hear from just about everyone, right? It's the the jump in play the speed of the game the strength the physicality of the players it's just something that even if you're anticipating it you don't really know exactly how difficult that's going to be until you're living it so 
if you could give a piece of advice to a high school player to help them make that transition easier, to help them, you know, get, get adjusted to college baseball more quickly, what would you suggest that they do while they're in high school? Um, one of my suggestions would be to um, definitely start developing some kind of routine, whether that's, you know, your pregame routine or your weight room routine or anything like that. And there's tons of resources, like I've said before, you know, and guys who are trying to help younger guys understand that jump from whether it's high school to college or college to professional baseball. Um, you know, routines are a huge part of a, a baseball player's ability to improve and also to stay ready for, you know, game day. Um, so I would definitely suggest, you know, high school guys start developing some sort of routine, whether it's, you know, post game practice routine, you know, if you go hit off the tee, you know, take 50 swings off the tee, you know, after every day of practice, you know, that's a routine and that's a good start to building that routine. Um, and then also, um, to, uh, yeah, to definitely start developing some kind of workout routine or habit because you habits are a great, um, way to help your work ethic, especially at that next level. Um, if you're able to develop good habits at an early age, you know, working out every single day or five times a week and then baseball on top of that, you know, it's not going to feel like such a different life change for you as a baseball player because you develop those habits at an early age. Yeah. Make it, you develop those habits and you make it routine and then it's just almost like clockwork. Absolutely. Love, love that. So walk us through what a typical day looked like at Kansas. What, um, what did you, you know, what did a typical day look like from the time your alarm clock went off in the morning to the time you went to bed at night? Yeah. So I, my, let's see, I'll, I'll kind of stick with my freshman year. Cause you kind of remember that a little bit more just because, you know, it's such a, a, a change. Yeah. Um, but I remember we had, we had six thirty weights in the morning um, because we didn't make the big Twelve tournament the year before. So um, we had six thirty weights. So, you know, you're waking up at five 30, trying to get some food in you five 30. Maybe if you're a late sleeper, you'll, you'll wake up at six and, you know, eat some quick oatmeal or something like that. But, you know, if you're not in the weight room by six 30, you know, the whole team's getting punished. So it's definitely um, <laughs> some inspiration for you to wake up that early, but, you know, you work out and um, you know, after your workout, you take a quick shower and then you got to walk to walk to class at eight o'clock. And at the university of Kansas, the campus sits on top of the hill. So even if you busted out legs that morning, you know, you still got to walk up the hill. And get to class. <laughs> um so yeah, so class from about I think it was I had it my freshman year from about eight to one one thirty somewhere around there. Walked back down to the field, and um, with that first couple of weeks there, we had conditioning on top of weights as well. So you know we get our individual work in because we weren't allowed to practice as a team yet. So those individual workouts last about an hour. So from about two o'clock to three o'clock, you have your individual workout. Um, and then from about three to four, four thirty, you are um, conditioning, or we were conditioning. And then after that, you try and get some some dinner, and then uh, you got you have uh, class responsibilities. So you have tutoring, um, which was mandatory for every single freshman. 
Um, if you had over a, I think it was a 3-0, you did not have to do tutoring. But for us as freshmen coming in, we all had tutoring. So that tutoring and, and actually study hall as well. So that amounts to about two to two and a half, maybe three hours of tutoring and study hall. Um, so I would get off about 8.30, 9 o'clock, and then, you know, kind of settle down after that and get up and do it all over again the next day. And, yeah. you know, pretty much the student-athlete lifestyle, especially, um, you know, your freshman year when you're trying to figure it all out. And that's why I kind of touched on earlier that being organized and kind of scheduling um, yourself early and developing those habits is a big way to help you improve at that next level. We like to say that college baseball isn't for everyone, right? Because as you just described, basically from the time that you wake up to the time that you go to bed, everything's dictated by your schoolwork and baseball. So if you, if you want to play college baseball so you can say that you're on the team and you, you can get some scholarship money, um, that's all well and good, but that's not going to last very long because it's literally priorities 1A and 1B are school and baseball, and you're doing that from the time you wake up the time you go to bed yeah absolutely it's like i think you said it perfectly if you're just trying to go play college baseball to you know be a part of a team or say that you play college baseball you're not going to be there for four years yeah you gotta really be able to succeed in both both facets of being a student athlete and you know sometimes those priority change changes you know whether it's hey i want to focus more on baseball or i want to focus on school but either way you have to be successful at at both at the same time because you have to stay eligible to play. And if you're not eligible, you know, there's other circumstances too, where it's like, all right, well, we gave you that opportunity and you flunked out of school. So we can't do anything outside of that to help you remain on the team. So you got to make sure you're definitely trying to be successful in both. Yeah. Tell us about your practice routine. Tell us about what a typical practice looked like. Um, let's go with the spring this time around. What, um, Let's say you guys were in between games or you're preparing for the season ahead. What did a typical practice look like? Yeah. So in the practices in Kansas were definitely nice and cold. So <laughs> you, add that, you add that to, to the mix there. Um, but uh, yeah, when you get back from winter break, it's, you know, full steam ahead because you start playing um, in about a month, you know, the season starts in a month and, so we had to be outside in the cold weather getting ready for, for the season. So practices during the springtime, you know, it's, it, to be honest with you, it kind of takes a shift to where, um, you know, school is, is harder to maintain just because you're so busy with practice and travel and practices start getting a little bit more intense because guys are trying to win jobs. Um, and same with inner squads as well. You know, you start mixing a lot more inner squads and game situations and pitchers are starting to get ready um, in terms of like pitch counts for the season. So it definitely amps up a little bit. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And, and you see guys um, improve from that development in the fall and start buying into the program. But in terms of the time allotment, you know, there's no, there's not as many NCAA restrictions on how many hours you guys practice. So, you know, sometimes you are there, you know, three, four hours, maybe even five hours if it's a long inner squad. Um, you know, just you're trying to do everything as a program to, to prepare for the season. So it's definitely a lot more 
time commitment and, you know, you really have to stay on top of your game on the field and then obviously off the field as well with academics, just because you're allotting a lot more time to the game. Yeah. So before we, before we talk about your transition to pro ball and some of the stuff with the, with the journaling real quick, give us your favorite part of, of playing college baseball. What's your favorite, either a favorite memory or, or just the thing you remember most fondly about being a college baseball player? Oh man, there's, there's so many awesome things that I miss every single day. Um, one of the main things is the camaraderie, the, the relationships that you build throughout those four, five years that you're on campus. I mean, you're getting a, fr- a fresh group of new guys coming in every single year. And gosh, I think I, it had to be over a hundred, a hundred teammates that I had or close to about that, you know, just at the university of Kansas, um, just because I was there for five years, I took a red shirt year, but the camaraderie is one of the things that I miss the most, you know, coming into the clubhouse every single day, you know, you, you can get sick of some guys, you know, it happens when you see them every single day, but that's one of the main things I miss is the camaraderie um, in terms of, of the playing aspect. I mean, there's nothing I, it was fortunate enough to be at a power five school. So, you know, growing up watching, you know, the university of Texas and Nagi Garrido winning college world series, you know, like those, those are things I always remember as a kid. And then all of a sudden I look across the field and there's Nagi Garrido, you know, those are the, one of the coolest moments that, you know, you have as a player and, you know, okay, you know, I'm playing Nagi now, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty cool to experience that. And, you know, playing at places like Texas and TCU and um, we were able to go down and play some SEC schools, Mississippi State, LSU. I mean, it's just so awesome to be able to experience those things. And and that's that's one of the main things I take just from my career is just being able to experience those things, not so much of how I played against those guys. I mean, obviously you have your good games and your bad games, but just being able to go travel and and experience those great ballparks and the great fan atmospheres and all that kind of stuff is just, it's, it's stuff that I miss and am very grateful to experience those things at the same time. Yeah. Now let's, um, let's transition to pro ball. I'm sure you had some great, great experiences there as well. What was the biggest eye opener when you got to pro ball? What was the biggest change? Um, so my, my professional story is, um, a lot like my recruiting out of high school. Um, you know, I went, I had a pretty successful senior year. I thought that I would be getting, be given an opportunity in the draft and, you know, it didn't happen. So it was one of those things to where, you know, I could have called it a, a career and, um, but, you know, I did my research and try to say, okay, what's the, what's the next best route I could go to try and get to an affiliated organization. And that was, for me, it was independent ball. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be picked up. I think it was about a month and a half after I uh, finished up my senior year um, with an independent organization in um, Gary, Indiana. And one of the biggest eye openers with professional baseball is that, you know, there's, in college, you kind of have that age cap where there's, all right, there's maybe a guy who's four, maybe five years older than you are. But in pro ball, there's, if you're a professional guy, I mean, and you're still playing, 
you're able to play. I think I had a teammate who was like 36 or 37 and yeah. you know, whole family married. And, you know, that's what he was. He's a lifer. He's a ball player, you know? So it was just kind of seeing one of those that seeing that um, initially after college was, you know, this is a guy, this is a person's livelihood, you know, this is their lifestyle. And um, that was one of the biggest eye openers. Another eye opener is that um, the pitching got a lot harder in terms of, um, you know, in college, a good college pitcher has two really good pitches they can put anywhere. Um, pro ball, these guys have three, you know, so that that's definitely a big adjustment that I had to try and make at, at the professional level. And then also um, the third biggest eye opener would be that it's definitely more, more of a grind. I mean, the buses aren't as nice as the division one baseball program. You know, you're not going out to eat after dinner. You know, you're eating the, the stadium food, the leftover stadium food. Um, so it's definitely a lot more of a grind, if you will. And that was kind of just obviously comparing it to my experience at the division one level. Right. Um, so that was definitely another eye opener. And, and it's just definitely more of a, more of a grind. Um, you know, you're, you're staying with host families. If you're lucky, um, if you're not, you know, you're putting yourself up in an apartment on, on minimal amount of money that you're receiving as a professional baseball player. So that means you're probably rooming with three, maybe four guys. So you're doing everything you possibly can to try and make it work. Um, but the best thing I loved about playing professional baseball is that you're playing every day. So you're at, you're at the baseball field, um, you know, for 10 hours a day. And that was something that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Again, it's not for everyone, right? Get some, <laughs> It uh, just keeps getting more intense the higher up you go. But it was during your time in pro ball that you started using notebooks to track ABs, to track pitch sequences, to uh, to try and give yourself a competitive advantage, right? So talk yeah. a little talk a little bit about how you started doing that and and how you found that it helped you as a player. Yeah, so I really started um... – I really started doing it, like you said, in professional baseball. I kind of dabbled a little bit with it in college. Um, but in terms of creating a competitive advantage for yourself, you're playing every single day as we're at college. You know, you're pay- playing maybe three to four times a week. Um, so when you play every day, you know, you're playing the same teams a lot of the times. And it was my second year of pro ball in the, in the league I was playing with had a total of four teams so we're playing three different teams throughout the course of the summer and it was just one of those things like hey i we, we can start really reading the tendencies of the of the opposition here you know whether you're a pitcher or a hitter obviously i was a position guy so the way i approached it was you know i'm gonna start just writing stuff down in my at bats and you know guys have done it before in the past and like i said i kind of did it in, in college but i wanted to take a little bit um what's the right word for it here, a streamlined approach um, in terms of gaining as much information as I possibly can, instead of just writing down, okay, I felt good at the plate, you know, this at bat, I really wanted to do, okay, I'm going to track every single pitch here. And I'm going to be able over, you know, the course of the next couple of months to really hammer down what these pitchers are throwing me and my teammates. So I developed this, this chart, if you will, and we would just keep it every single game I taught. I would teach the pitchers how to do it for us on their off day, kind of help them keep engaged in the game too. 
Um, but at the end of, I think it was about the all-star break, we were really getting these tremendous um, tendencies from the opposition to where it was literally like, Hey, in a one, one count, this guy's going to throw you a slider on the outside part of the dish. Um, 80% of the time, something like that. Right? right. So as a team, you know, we really, we really harped on that and really um, were able to find some fascinating things on pitchers just because everyone has their own tendencies and what they like to do. Um, and then it got to the point by the end of the year where opposing pitchers wanted to buy their charts off of me <laughs> just because they wanted <laughs> to see what they were doing. And um, obviously with, you make any of those transactions? No, no. <laughs> like, all right, it's at the end of the season, man. I'll give them to you. <laughs> but um, obviously, with with Major League Baseball and stuff like that, there's so much technology that kind of does it for you. But at the level that we were playing, you know, we didn't have that. So um, that's kind of where the idea stemmed. And um, I, I just created a notebook for myself to start using um, individually, and then obviously I can keep thoughts and and uh, you know how I'm feeling that day, and then let alone the actual game situations and, and stuff like that. So that's one of the things that um, where, the, where the idea of, of developing these notebooks stem from. And, um, you know, we're, today we're receiving tremendous feedback and guys have been using them, um, you know, through major leaguers have been taking notes on the game for a long time. But um, the way that I was able to create the, the flow of the notebook and, gather as much information as you can on a single page. Um, that's what really makes it unique. So you probably didn't expect it to turn into a business business model, but that's exactly what happened, right? With all always grind. Yeah. Yeah. It was just one of those things where I, I was sitting down and it was about a month after I stepped away from the game and, you know, I'm thinking, okay, what could I do? Um, you know, I have a degree, right. I can get a job and, um, but I was like, I, I want to give this a chance here and, and see, you know, with all my baseball connections and being fortunate enough to play as long as I have, you know, kind of start testing it out with some guys and, you know, with the feedback that I, that I had, I was like, all right, I got to give this a shot. And, um, yeah, so I, it's, we're receiving a lot of great feedback from, from colleges, um, high school programs, individual professionals, and, um, we're lucky enough to have, a couple of major league organizations using our notebooks. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a great way to stay in the game. And, and um, you know, I think it's a very valuable tool at the same time um, for individuals and, and teams alike. Yeah. And you touched on it a little bit earlier, but you know, people have been doing this for a long time. You see it's, it's gained more exposure now, right? You see guys like JD Martinez sitting on the bench, writing notes in a notebook. Um, you know, some big time players doing it kind of right out in the open, but I want you to address, so you, you have an audience right now that's predominantly high school players, high school parents, and high school coaches. Tell our listeners how you'd suggest using a hitting or pitching journal, either for player development or, or even for recruiting. You know, when we first jumped on a phone call, um, you talked about, hey, if you, if you bring this notebook full of notes about how engaged you are with the game and you plop that down on a college coach's desk, you know, they're going to be impressed. They're going to realize that you, you, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, eat, sleep, breathe baseball. 
Right. Tell our, tell our listeners a little bit about how you suggest using those. Yeah. So I guess just keeping notes. I mean, if you look at all around, you you know, every single professional in whatever field they're in, they'll have some kind of form of notebook, whether it's a physical notebook, um, a calendar, um, anything like that, or even their phones, you know, there's in a day-to-day life, you're very busy and you have to remember to do tasks. Um, so just kind of the science behind it, like writing things down, it's going to help you recognize and process your emotions, whatever you're feeling at the time, you know, you're going to be able to write that down and then you're going to be able to reflect on that later. Um, because you're forced to put your emotions into writing. So you're able to process your thoughts, you know, whether they're positive or negative and your feelings at as much at a deeper level than simply just thinking about it. I mean, because how many times have, you know, we've woken up in the middle of the night, oh, I have a great idea, you know, I'll remember it tomorrow morning, and then that idea is gone, right? Or just on a, when you're awake, I mean, there's so many things where, okay, I'll remember that, but we forget. So writing things down, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a flash drive, you know, for your brain, if you will. I mean, yeah. if you have a huge document and, you know, you lose that flash drive, you know, and you put a lot of work into it, it's gone. And it's almost gone forever, right? Unless um, you're able to remember that memory. Um, but in terms of the baseball, um, I think it really helps, especially younger players. It's going to help you clear your mind because you're able to write down your at bat. Say if you're a position player, write down your at bat. You know, process those emotions during that at bat. Game what other insights you're able to have. Whether it's hey, this guy has a flat fastball or he has run on his fastball. Um, you're going to be able to process that at bat and then, okay, right below it is a blank page, right? Or a blank at bat section. You're going to be able to move on to the next at bat a little bit better, I think, than just kind of sitting on your previous at bat. So I think emotionally that's going to help a ball player, especially a younger ball player, move on and say, okay, this last at bat's over. Let's focus on this at bat now, right? Yeah. So I think it's also going to help clarify your goals because when you sit down at the end of the day you're going to be, look like okay i'm having trouble with the outside part of the plate right so okay you're able to sit down realize you're having that problem okay what adjustment do i need to make okay i'll flip on the back side i'll write start writing some notes hey i need to work on the outside part of the plate this week during practice right so that's just something as a, as a younger ball player and then obviously what you touched on um, kind of intro- introducing this this uh, area. Um, if you have, I mean, if a college coach goes, hey, you know, we want to know what kind of ball player are you, you know, we're going to have a meeting with you and you go in and you have your always drying hitters game logs. You go, okay, here's, here's every single bad that I've had in the last two years. I mean, just like you said it, they're going to know right away that you eat, sleep, breathe baseball and you're doing it almost everything you possibly can to, to be a better baseball player and create and be a good teammate at the same time, because you're, you're also creating a bit of advantage, not only for yourself, but for your teammates, because you're writing that stuff down. Hey, this guy has late break on a slider, something like that. And the guy, one of your teammates can look at that. Okay. Is the late break on a slider? I'll try and I'll try and lay off the slider that starts at my belt. Right. Um, so I think it's going to be very advantageous for anybody to keep any form of notebook. It doesn't even have to be, you know, an always crying notebook, but just writing stuff down and, and creating that, 
those insights for yourself and your teammates um, is just going to be huge for development and especially that that baseball IQ that everyone is trying to improve on. Um, I mean, if you if you look at if you follow any type of professional draft, whether it's the NFL draft, um, the Major League Baseball draft, or the NBA draft, a lot of the analysts, you know, oh, this guy has a great you know, football IQ, baseball IQ, whatever it may be. And, you know, how do you develop that out, outside of playing the game? And, and I think cr having those notebooks and being able to touch on stuff and take notes on your passion is really going to help you. Yeah, especially nowadays, things get so busy. There's, you touched on it earlier with a lot of instant gratification and, um, you know, you, you unplug from one thing and then your phone goes off and you're doing something else. and just creating that track record, um, you know, putting things down so that when you do forget them, you can always go back. And I think you can use it, you know, when you're struggling, you can use it to look back and see what you were doing when things were going well. Um, when things are going well, you can look back and see what you're doing when things went well. Or you can start to pick up like, hey, I'm starting to fall into the same trend that I did right. at this point in time when things weren't going well. So really love that idea. We've got an article on our site and we talk about using a video journal, but um, in a lot of ways, the written journal is more important because it's, it's super accessible. You can do it anywhere. Um, and it's, it's, it's easy. And it, like you said, it takes that, that emotion It takes, it, it forces you to process things in a different way so that you're going to remember them. And you can use that to to build up a development program or show coaches that you know, you're engaged with, with the game and with your learning. So definitely love the idea. And, um, thanks for, for sharing how that started and, and how guys can use it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Don't want to keep you all day. We've had you on here for almost an hour now, but. Ooh, fun. Yeah. Right. Time flies when you're having fun. That's right. Um, so, the last thing we want to do, we just want to give you a little open mic time. So if there's anything we didn't cover, if you have any advice for the players and parents out there who are listening, um, now would be the time to uh, give your final words of wisdom or advice, and then you can mic drop it off of the podcast. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Gosh, so many different things I can try and say here. Um, I guess one of the main things that I, that I, I wish that, I had kind of if I, when I was 14 or 15 it's just the amount of resources that kids have today um, use those to your advantage and I, I, I said this on a previous podcast as well um, but if you have I mean every kid's going to have Twitter or Instagram or any type of social media if if you're able to create your Twitter account and baseball Twitter is, is phenomenal. There's so many coaches out there creating good insights and having good conversations about the game and, hey, tr try this drill or use this drill. If you're able to curate your Twitter feed or even your Instagram feed to where it's a baseball newspaper, you open it up every single day and you go, oh, okay, here's a new drill. I was just, I was I needed a new drill for infield or I needed to work on, you know, the inside pitch okay, here's the drill. I'm going to try that out today. And that stuff is free. It's, it's out there for everybody and creating that con or that curating your social media accounts, um, to be baseball oriented 
um, I think is going to be huge for the individual um, player who's trying to really improve themselves on a day-to-day basis. And with that too, with the social media stuff, definitely create the image that you want college coaches to perceive. So yeah. whether, that, whether that be, um, you know, you don't want to be retweeting stuff that can come back and, and bite you, especially nowadays. Um, you want to be the guy who's okay. This guy's Twitter account is all baseball. This is a guy that I want in my program and college coaches are looking that, looking at that stuff. They want to know um, what kind of person you are on top of the, up top of the kind of baseball player you are um, because guys run their programs differently and you don't want to, you don't want to have to um, cut half the teams in half just because, you know, you shared something on social media and, and they didn't like that. Um, And kind of moving past the social media stuff. Um, Academics is, is huge, especially at the high school level and whether you're a good student or not, Um, It's one of those things that you guys have to take accountability for um, because there are requirements for you guys to um, play at the next level. And if one of those things kind of like the social media um, coaching staffs can some coaching guys look at um, GPA as your work ethic and you go, okay, this guy's not a hard worker. He barely stayed eligible in high school. You know, we're going to perceive him as a non hard, not a hard worker. So definitely try and, and be the best you can be both off the field and on and develop that reputation that you want people to um, perceive you as, especially if you're trying to be a college baseball player or even a professional. Um, and then, yeah, with that, I would like to say if you guys want to check out the Always Grind Notebooks, um, definitely go to the website is www.alwaysgrind365.com. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff on there as well. Like there's some down, downloadable uh, free forms on you for, for especially for high school players some college contact lists, email templates, um, stuff like that. So definitely go check that out. And then I also wanted to uh, make myself available to anybody who's listening to, if they wanted to reach out to me, um, there is a contact form on that website as well. And then, um, yeah, the social media accounts, you can reach out to me that way as well. It's uh, always grind 365 at always grind 365. And I'm more willing to happy to help and answer any, make any questions that um, anybody might have about recruiting or professional baseball or um, just kind of keeping notebooks and the benefits of doing that. So um, with that, I, I would like to say thank you to uh, keep playing baseball. Um, you guys are doing great stuff in the baseball community um, and helping guys achieve their dreams. So thank you for having me, Ethan. And um, yeah, I, I'm excited to uh, hop on another podcast here soon. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us. And as you mentioned, guys, you got no excuse now. You got the resources out there. Um, check out that website, check out those forms. Obviously we have similar type of stuff on, on our website, regardless of how you're doing it, just make sure you are taking steps to move your game towards the next level. But, uh, Joe, thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast, man, and look forward to having you, uh, stop back in sometime in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Ethan, thanks for having me. This this was fun. Thanks for making it to the end of this episode of the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. If you find value in our podcast, please help us make it better. 
Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a five-star rating. Write a review. All of that helps us get this information into the hands of those who need it most. We're always beyond excited to get questions and provide more information. You can reach us by email at keepplayingbaseball at gmail.com. Our Twitter DMs are open. That's at keepplayingbb. Same is true for our Instagram account. That's at keepplayingbaseball. And Facebook, Keep Playing Baseball. We're always excited to help provide you with the information that you need to make educated decisions in the recruiting process and move towards your goal of playing college baseball. Don't hesitate to reach out if you need anything, and we'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, take care.